Our Heavenly Father, we come here before you again this morning. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity, this privilege to worship. I pray now that as we go through the remainder of this service, we look into your word that you would open it up and apply it to our hearts and our lives, that we might be different people than we were when we came in. Draw us close to you, and Father, we bow here and we thank you for all your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you all be seated? You know, I'm sure you've heard this term before when uh, it says, no good deed goes unpunished. You ever heard that before? Basically what it's saying is that uh, whenever you try to do something with the very best of intentions, sometimes it just blows up in your face and seems like you become the villain and you're punished for trying to do something good to help somebody. I know that uh, every um, person here has probably had an opportunity to do that. Something has blown up in your face. You tried to help somebody out financially and they took advantage of you. You tried to give them counsel. They may, maybe they were going through a divorce or had problems with their teenage children and you thought you were giving them wise counsel only to see that it blew up in your face and didn't work out and they were mad at you over that. Um, one thing after another, I can remember in my life countless times when I've tried to help people and it blows up for some reason. Either they misinterpret your intentions or it didn't work out the way they thought and you get blamed for it. I can remember one instance when Deborah and I, we first moved out here to uh, Texas. This was back in 81, 1981, was going to seminary. It wasn't long after that that a couple that we knew in Florida, they were relatively new believers, um, they came out to, uh, they said, we're going to, it's just the two of us, they didn't, they, their kids were grown and so forth, and they said, we're going to uh, move out and, and start new in Texas as well. So I was wondering if you could put us up for a few weeks while we um, look for a job. We said, sure, come on out. So we had a little three-bedroom house we were renting, and uh, I had three kids, and so it was tight. And I put my 12-year-old son on the couch, and and they took his room. Two weeks went by, and then pretty soon I was hitting on two months. And it was like I didn't think they were ever going to leave. Uh, one day the wife goes in to do some laundry and overloads the laundry and burns it, burns up my washing machine. Deborah was mad about that. So we decided it was time to say something. So we said, you know, you guys have got jobs. This may be a good, good time for you to go ahead and try to find a place of your own because my son is... Um, having to sleep on the couch is just not working out long term. So they did, and they uh, moved out, and it was fine after that. But I remember thinking, uh, I don't know that they ever would have moved if I hadn't said something. And it was almost as if they were taking advantage of the situation. And no matter who you are, I'm sure you've done something like that. You've tried to help somebody, and it just didn't turn out the way you envisioned it. Now the question is this, what do you do then? Do you get angry do you start feeling sorry for yourself? Do you say to yourself, you'll never, ever help anybody else again because it just didn't work out that time? And so you just don't. Every time there's a need, you just ignore it because you got burned once, but you're not going to get burned again. And so that's what you tell yourself. Well, today what we're going to do is we want to talk about that. What to do when your good intentions blow up in your face. And I'm going to share with you some of my thoughts as we look at this passage of Scripture and talk about that. In your growth groups tonight, I want you to talk about this, and I want you to be honest, okay? I want you to share. I want you to share a situation in your life, perhaps, where you have tried to help somebody in the past, 
you had the best of intentions and you meant well, but it just went south on you. and you just, It just didn't work. And explain that situation. Tell us how, what happened and where you think you made your mistakes and tell us what happened after that and how it turned out. And maybe flip it around. Tell us a situation where somebody tried to reach out to you. Somebody had the best of intentions trying to help you sometime, but it just didn't work out. And talk about that. And I'm going to share with you, share with you some things that I believe are practical applications on what to do in a situation like that. And uh, give you the opportunity tonight to share and to, to discuss that with each other as you talk in your groups. Let's begin by looking at the text. We're in the book of Judges. We're looking at the life of Gideon. Gideon has just now conquered the army that was camped there in Israel. We saw last week it was a rout. It was a miraculous event where God intervened. And basically God did it. Gideon didn't have to do much at all. And so now this story picks up after that, after that great battle, that great victory. Here we are in Judges chapter 8, verses 22 through 28. And here's what it says. The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. That was a natural response. Look, it's a great victory. You saved us. Why don't you be our king? Why don't you rule over us? It says in verse 23, But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Now Gideon understood something. Gideon understood that Israel was in a unique position position or relationship with, with God. It was the theocracy. We've talked about that before. God governed the nation directly. He spoke through people, and they in turn shared with the nation of people what he wanted them to do. There was no guesswork because God was, was guiding them. Um, he, this period of the judges lasts for close to 400 years. And during that time, God said, you're not getting a king. And they kept asking, give us a king. Give us a king like the other nations. They said, no, I'm your king. I'm going to share with you and and guide you and direct you. And when I deem it necessary, I will give you a king. And he had every intention of doing that. But Gideon understood something. He understood this is not to be because God does not want me to be the king. But now look at what he does with the best of intentions. Look at what he does in verse 24. And he said, this is Gideon speaking, and he said, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. And then in parentheses it says it was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. All of these men they just killed and conquered all had earrings of gold plus a lot of other treasure. And all I'm asking you to do is give me one earring from your plunder. And so they said in verse 25, they answered, We'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment, and each of them threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camels' necks. So there was a lot of gold. This amount, 1,700 shekels, uh, uh, is 43 pounds of gold that just in the earrings alone. Now you gotta wonder why is he asking for such an odd gift from them? Well he needed the gold and he had some ideas and it tells us in verse twenty seven and this is the key verse that I want you to, to watch, okay? It says that Gideon made the gold into an ephod, 
which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. Now, let me read it again for you. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment, okay? Let me just read the next two verses, verses and finish up the story. It says in verse 28, Thus Gideon was subdued before the... I'm sorry, thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land had peace for 40 years. Forty years of peace followed this victory. Um, down in verse tw- uh, chapter 8, verse 32, here's what it says. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, in Ophrah of the Abizarites. All right, so let's go back now for just a moment. This is the issue that, that uh, Gideon fell prey to. He made an ephod and he established something going on in Israel that God didn't want. And it says that Israel prostituted themselves, spiritually is what it's talking about. They followed another God instead of the God of the nation of Israel. They were, had a weakness for that. They were always worshiping idols. But what has Gideon done and why did he do it? See, that's the puzzling part. And really this is the only verse that, that lets us in on that problem. So we're going to have to speculate. I think what I'm going to share with you is accurate, but we're kind of speculating here. Let me read you a couple of verses. It goes back into the law of Moses. When Moses was in the wilderness with the Israelites and God gave the law, and he gave them the instructions for the priesthood. And he gave instructions on what garments the priest was to wear and so forth. So we're going to take you back now to Leviticus. Leviticus 8, verses 7 and 8. This is what God is saying to to Moses. And he put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband, which he tied around him. He placed the breastplate on him and put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastplate. Now, a few months back, we preached a sermon on uh, when we were in Joshua talking about the Urim and the Thummim. Um, basically, there were two stones that went into this gold breastplate that was a part of the ephod, the vest of the priest. And God, when the, was asked by the priest, God, should we do this? He would light up these stones in order to give them direction. That was something a lot of people aren't aware of, but this, this had really happened. Now, in this time in the history of, of Israel... Every man was doing what he thought was right in his own eyes. All of the factions, all of the little family groups, all of the tribes were all separate. There was no central place of worship to speak of. And the priesthood, for all practical purposes, wasn't doing its job. But nonetheless, God had laid down very strict instructions that the only tribe that could participate in the priestly job was the tribe of Levi. And of that tribe, only the family of Aaron could be the high priest. And so, here's what Gideon has done wrong. Gideon said, I won't be your king, 
but I will set up a priesthood, and I will be the priest. And so he fashioned himself an ephod in order that God might speak to him, in order that he might convey to the people. And it became a snare because what happened was Israel eventually began to worship that, the gold ephod, rather than listening to God. Um, Now, I want to go through now and begin to think through and talk to you about what happened. Because I believe, and and it depends on who you're talking to, what book you're reading, people say, well, Gideon was prideful and arrogant and trying to set himself up. And I don't think so. I don't think that was the case at all. I think Gideon was a humble man that had just seen a miraculous event take place. And I think that his heart was in the right place. And I think that what he was trying to do was based on good intentions, but it just blew up in his face. What was Gideon thinking? I want to give you three things that I think are true about what was going on with Gideon as he was thinking through this. First of all, he knew it was wrong to be king. He knew that it was not right for him to be the king, and he had no intentions of doing that. Now, if he was prideful and arrogant like people try to make him out to be, I'm sure he would have jumped on that. But I don't think that was his intent. I think what Gideon wanted, and the second thing, is that I think that he wanted people to obey God. I think that he had come to know and to realize who God was, and he had seen what God had done, and he simply wanted these people to be obedient to God because God had rescued him from the Midianites. And number three is I think that what he was trying to do was trying to help them out spiritually. All through this ordeal of getting ready and fighting the Midianites, God had been talking directly to Gideon. And he had appeared to Gideon there in the wine press, remember? And he would appear and he would talk and he would give Gideon instructions. And Gideon had to learn to trust him through this, but he had learned it well. And God had given him a great victory. And Gideon wanted that to continue. Gideon said, God, you've been talking to me and I've been telling these people and it's worked out great. Let's continue that. And in his mind, he's thinking, what better way to do that than to create an ephod and for me to wear it in in my hometown, in my tribe of Manasseh, they can come and we will worship God here and I will give them instructions as God speaks to me. Now, the only problem with that was that God never intended for that to happen and God didn't speak. He made this ephod with the intentions that God is going to deal through him with the people. And it didn't happen because God said, no, only the high priest can have that. And you're not the high priest. And so what happens over time, the people began to worship the gold ephod. Because one idol is as good as another when you worship idols. And they thought that maybe there was some power in that thing. So they set it up and they began to worship it. And the Bible says that it became a snare to Gideon and to his whole family because they had to look at this and they had to look and see what Israel was doing and Gideon had to face the fact that I had the best of intentions and I did not want this. The furthest thing from my mind was an idol and yet it has happened. And yet it became a snare to him. It was a a source of, of irritation, a source of embarrassment, a source of just discouragement. As you look at what he set up, what he instituted, what he began, even though his intentions were somewhat different, the situation did not turn out that way. So where did he go wrong? I want to share with you some things here that apply to you and me. 
Now, these are the things that I think Gideon did that were wrong, and there are probably many more. But these also apply to us because in any given situation where you and I are trying to do something and we have the best of intentions and it goes wrong, you can usually follow it back and trace it back to something uh, in these four things that I'm going to share with you real quick, okay? But these are the four things that I think are prevalent in the mistake that Gideon made. Number one, he went beyond what God had told him to do. He just went beyond. God had told him this, conquer the enemy, Gideon, and that's all I'm asking you to do. And he did it. But Gideon had this brainstorm, you see, and he went beyond then and did something with the best of intentions, but it was not what God wanted him to do. And you know as well as I do that sometimes when we do things for people to try to help people or maybe to do something to serve God with the best of intentions, And we have these ideas and these thoughts and we go beyond, way beyond what God ever intended. And the whole thing just seems to fall apart and and we wonder, you know, what happened? Well, it can probably be traced back in some instances to where you just went too far. And it wasn't what God wanted. And you've got to face that. But here's the second thing that I believe that Gideon did wrong. He was trying to manipulate other people. Not in a bad way, but he was trying to control the situation. Gideon was basically saying, I know what's best for you. I know what you need. And I'm going to do it. Because I care about you. There have been times in my life where I have overstepped, gone beyond what God wanted to do and trying to help somebody. And I knew what was best for them. I thought I had all the answers. And you finally have to face the reality that, you know what, you're just trying to manipulate people and circumstances because that's what you think they need, but maybe that's not. And that leads me to the third thing that I think that he made his mistake. He was insensitive to the weakness that Israel had for idols. He was insensitive to the weakness that Israel already had. Do you remember when God found Gideon? The first thing that he tells him to do is go and into your little town here and get rid of the idols that your father has set up. They were all idol worshipers at this time. And Gideon knew that, and here he sets up something that gives them the opportunity now to worship it. But he was insensitive to the situation. Here's the fourth mistake that he made. He let his emotions get the best of him. He let his emotions get the best of him. Gideon came through this ordeal with the fighting of the Midianites, and man, he is so excited. I mean, why wouldn't he be? God has worked a miracle, and he is on cloud nine. He is on a spiritual high, and he is excited, and he has this brainstorm that I'm going to do this because I just got to do something, you know? I just got to do something. Man, how many times have we heard that? There's a need or a problem or an issue with these people or their, this situation, or, and, and you just got to do something. And maybe God's leading you and, and, and pushing you and, and, and encouraging you to do something, but you, you need to slow down and think it through because here he was responding on emotion. And a lot of times we do that because we have pity for somebody. We feel sorry for them. We're angry. You get a situation where a husband is abusing his wife and you are enraged over this. And you want to do something. And sometimes if we don't slow down, we just go and we do the wrong thing and make it worse. Man, that's happened so many times. 
especially when you get involved in domestic situations. You'll have two people turn against you real quick if you're not careful. But you've got to do something. You know that. It's just trying to figure out what it is. So I want to share with you some other things. Now, you're going to, I'm, I'm giving you a lot of notes here, okay? So just write them down and talk about them tonight. What do you do when the situation blows up in your face? What do you do then? I want to share with you six things very quickly, okay, things that I just jotted down, that you can either do before it blows up, before you ever do anything, you need to do these couple of things, or afterwards, when you jumped ahead and you did something and it blew up on your face, now what do you do? So before and after is kind of where I'm going with this, but these are the six things that I would suggest. Here's the first one. You need to do this before, and that is that you need to pray. Very hard you need to be praying. And you need to be praying very specifically for what it is that God wants you to do in this particular situation. See, sometimes we assume we know what is right, and we really don't. What seems right in that given situation may not be the best thing, and it may not be what God wants you to do. And you're feeling it in your heart. You know that the Spirit has laid it upon your heart to do something. And man, you just wanted help. Well, you better pray hard because your emotions can really lead you astray. And you're going to need clear direction on what it is that you need to do in this given situation. Here's the second thing that you need to do, and that is this. Don't get discouraged and stop trying. Don't get discouraged. Now, this will take place after the fact, after you've been burned. The common response in a situation like this is that we get burned and we back off. We say to ourselves, I only meant well, I wanted to help, and here they are mad at me now. I'll never do it again. I'll never let that happen again. So you don't. And you'll hear about a need and you'll feel the prompting of the Spirit to get involved, to help out, to reach out, to love them, to do something And you'll say, no, because I don't want to be burned like that again. Don't do that. All of us make those mistakes. All of us get burned at times. All of us are taken advantage of. All of us go beyond what God would have us to do. But the worst thing in the world that we can do after that happens is to just stop. Because you see, what we're saying at that point is the most important thing is not that I minister to these people, it's that I don't get hurt again. And we're just protecting ourselves. And that's not right. The third thing that that I want to share with you is this, that before it ever happens, before you ever make a move, that you run your ideas by somebody else first. You run your ideas by somebody else first. Now, this is very important, okay? You can go to somebody else in the church and you can say to them, I think that Joe and Sally or whoever it is need some help. They need help in this area. They're struggling with with parenting. They're struggling financially. They're struggling in their marriage. It could be any number of things. And you guys can get together and begin to pray, okay, what do we do? And how do we help these people? Because God has obviously laid it on our hearts to do this. Either you do that or you come and talk to me and and bounce the ideas off of me. Because there may be things about this situation that you don't know. And if you go giving somebody money, for example, simply because you feel the need to help them, 
you may be doing more harm than good because the problem is an addiction that you weren't aware of. And so maybe that's not the best thing. Maybe the best thing is to say, bring me your light bill and I want to pay that for you or something of that nature. But you have got to bounce the ideas off of somebody because this is how God works. You talk it out, you talk it through, you compare notes, you pray together, and you come to a conclusion that this is the best thing we can do in this given situation in order to help these people. And yeah, your best intentions, you follow through with the right action, see. And it's so important that you do that. Number four is this, that you be sensitive to what is really needed. Now, this is kind of what I was talking about here, bouncing it off with somebody. Because what you're trying to determine is what is the best thing to do now. And this is going to require some sensitivity. You're going to have to be able to let the Spirit of God really deal with you on this. And so that you are sensitive to what is needed, and it's not just what you want. Now, guys, listen to me, okay? This is very important. I have realized through the years from myself making this mistake and from other people making this mistake in my life, um, we sometimes, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the heading of helping somebody, are just really selfishly trying to make ourselves feel good. So we do things, we give things, we reach out with help that's not really needed. But it sure does make us feel good. And you've got to stop and you've got to ask yourself and be sensitive to what's really needed. Let me give you an example, okay? An example might be this. You see somebody in the church or somebody outside the church that's in need financially. You start thinking to yourself, I've got this old used car here that I don't use. I'm going to give it to them. And that's a, a great gesture. But they don't really need a car. They can't hardly pay the bills now, and you're going to give them a car that they've got to put insurance on and buy gas for, that they don't really need or want. But no, I'm going to give this to them because I, I really want to do this. But maybe what you ought to do is sell the car and give them the money because that would help them out, you see. Be sensitive to the need. There may be a situation where um, what somebody really needs is just another individual to come along and just, just listen to me. Boy, a wife is in a bad situation in her marriage and her husband is abusive. She doesn't want you to go and talk to the husband. She doesn't want you to tell the police. She just wants you to, right now, just come and listen to me. But see, we get these ideas. Boy, I, this needs to stop. And so you jump ahead. And you're not sensitive to what she needs. And you do what you want. And it blows up in your face. Maybe what she does or he does or whomever you're talking to, maybe what they do need is some tough love and some guidance and some directness. You need to be sensitive to that too. You need to do it. My point is this. Whatever the situation that you are sensitive to those needs... I remember when Deborah and I were in a, one of our previous churches, our ministries, there was a couple in the church that we just dearly loved that were just good as gold to us. We hung around and, and, and did things together and so forth. But he was notorious for doing things for me that I didn't need or want. 
he would go out and he'd be clothes shopping and, and he had the money to do this and he would go out, he'd buy something. He said, here, this would look great on you. I bought you one. He I just loved me to death. It's ugly. I don't want it. Now, I didn't tell him that. You can't say that to people. But be sensitive to what I need, not what you want me to have. And it was always doing this. Here, we're going to go out to eat. We're going to go here. Come and go with them. We're going over here to eat. Why don't you at least once in a while ask me where I'd like to go? Because I don't really like that place, you know, but I don't say anything. So the whole point is this, that you just be sensitive to what is needed and not just what you want to do. Don't just jump out there and do something, but you pray about it. You talk to other people about it. And you'd listen to the Spirit of God as He tries to direct you into what you need to be doing in this situation. Now, inevitably, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to blow it. You're going to get involved in somebody's life, and they're going to resent it. They're going to think that you're condescending. They're going to think that you're nosy. They're going to think that you are irresponsible. And all you had was the best of intentions. They may take advantage of you. And so, number five is going to be this. Apologize when necessary. You need to apologize when the situation dictates that. You know, it speaks volumes when you go to somebody and you're just honest with them. And you say to them, you know what? I love you dearly. The whole reason that I did what I I did, I want you to understand this, is because I care about you. I care about you, I care about your family, I care about your marriage, I care about... It worries me that, that I think that you are going without things because you don't have the money and I'm not here to try to embarrass you. The last thing I want to do is humiliate you. But I feel like what I've done has offended you and I want you to know that I am so, so sorry. I never meant for that to happen. If you will tell me how I can help you, I will but I am so sorry for jumping out there ahead of, ahead of God and doing something I shouldn't have done. That was not my intention. That person will respond. Who couldn't? So whenever the situation dictates and you've overstepped your bounds, explain your intentions, your love for them, ask them what you can do, and apologize when necessary. Here's the last one, and that is this that you need to remember that your story doesn't end with your mistakes. Your story doesn't end there. Now watch. Gideon blew it. There's one verse in the Bible that tells us that, that he blew it. And then the next verse tells us that there was 40 years of peace because of his victory. It wasn't over. He was victorious. Not only that, but you get into the New Testament and you get into the book of Hebrews. And there in Hebrews, the author in chapter 11 gives us a laundry list of the great men and women of faith in the Bible. And here's old Gideon mentioned. Hebrews 11, 32 and 33, listen to what he says. He says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. Now watch this. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. 
You see, there's old Gideon with his big glaring mistake of overstepping his bounds, sticking his nose into something that he shouldn't have done. There's Gideon, and we're being told that through faith he conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Guys, your story is not finished, okay? And what God is going to do with you in the future, only he knows. But if you, if you make a mistake and you cower back and you quit, you'll never see how God can change all this. Now, you may feel responsible right now because you can identify with what I'm talking about. You're thinking to yourself, yeah, that's, that's me. I've, I've blown it. And I want to encourage you to follow these steps. Don't give up, but just follow these steps. And God will use you to minister. God will use you in other people's lives. And you will be less likely to blow it. You really will. Learn from your past mistakes and keep going, okay? That's the challenge. Like I said tonight in your groups, I want you to discuss this and be honest about your, your mistakes, your problems, your, your situations. And maybe in your life right now, there's something you need. Would you have the courage to tell somebody in your group? And if you're not in a group, then come and tell me. How specifically could we as a church help you? How could we help you? Not, don't leave it up to us to try to figure it out because we might mess up. But just be honest and tell us, okay? That's what the church is all about. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me read you this verse. And if you are here this morning and you do know Christ, which is the vast majority, if not all of you, I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you that at this time of the service, each week when we do this, when we come to this invitation part write down these verses if you're not familiar with them i'm going to start trying to pull out obscure verses that you don't normally know or or use and we use john 3:16 a lot and there'll be times when i repeat them and that that's to be expected but verses that you're familiar with that you may not use very often why don't you write them down on a three by five card next time you're talking to somebody just give it to them just say hey here's a verse pastor used it in church on sunday I think that it's a good verse for you to read. Now watch this verse. You're familiar with it, but it's a little, let's really look at it, okay? In John chapter 5, verse 24, here's the verse. Jesus is speaking and he says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Now just look at the verse, okay? Because God, Jesus is speaking, he says, whoever hears what I'm saying, which is the gospel, I'm proclaiming to you what the gospel is, and believes him who sent me, the Father, that I, he sent me here, and that what I'm telling you is true, and you believe it, then you have eternal life. You will not be judged. You'll never stand before God to be judged as a sinner because God says you already have eternal life. But not only that, he says that you have already passed from a group of lost people. You have already passed over from death to life when you put your faith in him. Why don't you do that? Give them the verse, let them keep it. Folks, that's witnessing. That's what you need to be doing. But if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ, don't know what it's about, 
Read the verse. Because God says to you that it's this simple. That you're a sinner and that God loves you anyway. And that Jesus died on a cross for you. That's what he was sent here for. And when you believe that, you have eternal life. You will never be judged. And you have crossed over from death to life. That's God's promise. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Lord, I know that all of us at times have blown it. We have made mistakes and we get so discouraged in our best intentions and we didn't mean it, but we were misunderstood. God, forgive us where we've blown it. Forgive us for feeling sorry for ourselves. Forgive us for quitting. And Father, I pray that we might again get back into the game, the game of ministry, of serving. And Father, when you lay upon our hearts those around us that are in need, that we would be sensitive to that. And Father, we would follow these steps, we would think it through, we would listen, we would proceed with caution, but that we would proceed. Help us, Lord, to be that people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.